This week's message is sponsored by the Harrison Audiovisual Ministry. Each week, the AV team sets forth on a mission to provide an extraordinary worship experience to those joining us each Sunday, striving to provide the best lighting, sound, and visuals. If you're interested in learning more or getting involved, please email audiovisual at harrisonchurch.org. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Time to meet the need. We're going to be doing that. Thank you all for coming. And once again, if you were a little bit later uh, walking in, uh, it's just a delight to be here in God's place where we can worship the Lord together. Normally what I like to do is give a little introduction about where we are in our sermon series. But I'm going to say that for just a moment. So uh, here's kind of what we do if you're visiting with us. I want us to kind of stand as we're able for the reading of God's Word. We're going to kind of been exploring some of the sayings that Christians say to each other all the time. I bet you can never guess what today's is, right? Yeah. All right, so I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy, Old Testament, the 15th chapter. And uh, this is Moses uh, speaking to the people of Israel as they embark into the land of promise. So it doesn't say Moses said, but we're, this is Moses' sermon uh, to the people. So let's hear what Moses has to, said, has to say. Deuteronomy 15, I'll be beginning with verse 7. If there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community in any of your own towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, this is what he says here. Do not be, say that, hard-hearted or tight-fisted. Interesting, we're going to talk about that. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, thinking, well, the seventh year, the year of remission is near. And what Moses is referring to is in the Torah, there's a a year where they're supposed to forgive debts, to forgive people's debts, just just remit them. So the seventh year, the year of remission, do not say, oh, it's near, and therefore view your needy neighbor with hostility and give nothing. Listen to this. Your neighbor might cry to the Lord against you. And you would incur guilt. Moses says, give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you and all your work and in all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth. And I just want to say in some translations, uh, this is the NRSV. In some translations, Moses says there, since the poor will always be with you. You ever heard that before? Okay. So I'll just read what I have here in the translation. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, or in other translations, since the poor will always be with you, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Oh, let's talk about this. We'll be able to complete this sentence. All right, so uh, a few years ago, back in 2011, I, I believe it was, uh, Jay Carney was the uh, press secretary of the Obama administration and uh, was during this conference, and he was giving kind of a presentation on jobs and kind of creating jobs. And uh, he said in this press conference, he says, you know, I trust God, but uh, God wants us to help people help themselves by, by getting a job. And then there was a reporter in the plenary uh, who asked a question, and she said, well, do you think it's appropriate to bring God up in a debate about jobs? I think it is, but nevertheless. So uh, Jay Carney responds to her question, do you think it's appropriate for, for to talk about God, about jobs? And he says, well, you know what the phrase in the Bible says, right? 
The Lord helps those who help themselves. Ah, here we go. Let's talk about this. Okay, now let me catch you up if you're visiting with us on, on where we have been. For the last few weeks, uh, we have been uh, kind of answering some of the questions that members of this congregation have asked me. Uh, they sent me notes asking questions. Uh, and we're going to get back to some questions next week. There's a question that... Uh, I'm kind of losing sleep about, but I'm going to respond to it. But next week, what we've also been doing is uh, kind of talking about some of these sayings that Christians just love to say to each other all the time. No doubt you've heard them. Uh, last week, I thought Pastor Kyle did a great job. Some of you may remember the saying, uh, God never gives us more than we can what? Handle. Well, he popped that balloon. And then the week before that, uh, we talked about another saying that we Christians just love to say, and that is, everything happens yeah, all right, so if you did not hear the sermons, they're online, just go to our website, you'll be able to see them there. So what I thought we'd do today is kind of dissect this one, and this, is, this might be the most popular saying of all, right? The Lord helps those who help themselves. Now, what's hilarious to me is that uh, anytime someone says this, or almost anytime, they almost always kind of preface it. By saying, like Jay Carney did, by saying, well, you know, the Bible says. They almost always say that. Well, you know, the Bible says God only helps those who can help themselves. And what's hilarious is it's not in the Bible. Right? And actually, the saying, I got a little sound, is it me? Uh, the, 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 the saying actually comes from some Greek philosophers who lived about, I don't know, three or four hundred years before Christ. But it became very famous at least in our country, with the 1736 edition of Benjamin Franklin's Poor Richard's Almanac. And so we think, a lot of people think we're quoting the Bible when we say this, when we're actually quoting Benjamin Franklin, uh, whose Christianity was kind of questionable to begin with, I guess I could say that. Uh, we're, we're actually quoting Benjamin Franklin. Now, here's the thing. It's not to say that there's not actually a, a grain of truth to this. There is actually a little grain uh, of truth to this, even though it's not in the Bible. It's actually an exaggeration of what we think the Bible says, which we'll get into, which is this. If you go into the Scriptures, especially in the book of Proverbs, kind of right there in the middle, uh, the Proverbs are what are called wisdom books, and there's a set of wisdom books like, you know, the Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Job, okay? There are several sayings in the Proverbs that talk about how God affirms diligence, you know, that we, we should actually cultivate in our lives kind of a good work ethic. It's all over the Proverbs. For instance, this is just one of dozens. Uh, Proverbs 10.4 says that a slack hand, slack hand, you know, kind of like a lazy hand, a slack hand tends to poverty, but a diligent hand tends to riches. Okay, that's one. Uh, there's another proverb that says that mere talk, just talking, can tend to poverty, but the diligent person, right, will increase his or her wealth. So it's there. And the point of the Proverbs especially is that, you know, God expects us to do some things for ourselves. Right? God expects us to do some work, right? It's not as if uh, God's going to do everything for us. Work is actually good for the soul. We got to be careful. Sometimes we think that's the whole answer. Here's what's interesting to me. I love how the books of the Bible, maybe we don't appreciate this enough, how they're placed. I just mentioned to you the book of Proverbs is in the wisdom literature, kind of in the middle. Well, one of the wisdom books is the book of Job. All right, see where I'm going here in a second? 
All right, so you got all these proverbs saying diligence will lead to wealth. Diligence will lead to wealth. Work, work, work will lead to riches. But if you go to the book of Job, here's a very diligent man, a very righteous man, and he lost everything. It's as if the Bible is in argument with itself. Man, we've got to appreciate that. It's not so black and white, you know? But the Lord does bless our, our effort, and he does expect us to do some things for ourselves. I mean, there's, we all need to eat. Right? Everybody needs to eat, we, and God has given us food, right? We, the creation is, is overflowing with, with food, but we got to cook it. You know, you didn't make your Christmas dinner, and didn't, a, a turkey didn't just magically land on your table, right? There, there, there takes some preparation. You know, every week I'm always nervous before I preach a sermon. And the reason for this is that I hope that the Lord has blessed my words. I hope that the Lord has blessed my words. But it's not as if I just hold out my hands on Wednesday and go, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this manuscript that I'm going to have on Sunday. No, i got to do some work. i got to pray. i got to study. i got to research. I've got to search the Bible. i got to memorize. i got to edit. i got to do all of these things. I never stop preparing the sermon. Now, Jesus said that one day the kingdom of God is going to come in all of its fullness. It's going to happen. But then he says, but I am enlisting you to work on, the ha- on behalf of the kingdom. you got some work to do. Right? So the Lord does bless our efforts. There's a grain of truth, a grain of truth to this idea that the Lord helps those who help themselves. We are called to kind of be active. And it takes some effort in our lives. This is how God wants it. But I'll tell you this. I think the saying that we might want to put to memory, instead of saying to each other, well, you know, the Lord only helps those who help themselves, I think a, another saying, a better saying, and here I'm kind of channeling some uh, Christian leaders today, and they think a better saying might actually be, don't do for others in the name of God what they are able to do for themselves. Don't do for others in God's name what they are able to do for themselves. Now, these are the people who are uh, what we call missions, mission leaders. Uh, missions, they're, they're, they're engaged in missions in other countries. They're with impoverished communities. It might actually be local. We have missions here. We are in outreach to some of the poor. Room in the Inn is one of these things that we do where we shelter the homeless on Wednesday nights, give them a place to stay. We need people to serve in this. The Lord is calling people to do this, but we are always in in service, right, to, to do these things. But there are some Christian leaders nowadays who have said that we in the church, we didn't mean to do this, but there are cases where we have actually done more harm than good when we send out our teams into these impoverished neighborhoods or these impoverished global communities. See, what they say is happening is that, you know, our church will bless a team and send the team out, and then the team will arrive somewhere, and they will get their toolboxes out, and they'll do some manual labor. They might build something for a little while, and then they will pack up their toolboxes, didn't charge anything for their work at all, get back on their bus or on their plane, feel really good about themselves. And what happens is that in our wake is that we've actually disempowered some people who are able to do the work that we've been doing for free. Right? There are people there who could build homes, but they're not going to do this. They're not going to be hired to if the church is going to kind of rush in and say, we'll do it. Right? And so there are a lot of churches saying, are we harming people? Are we doing more harm than good? And so now we have a lot of churches, instead of saying, what can we do? Now, there are instances where we really need to do something, like floods and all emergency relief. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about kind of like long-term stuff. And now that you find churches kind of saying, well, wait a minute now. Maybe the thing we ought to be doing is 
Maybe, maybe the church offers some people in these areas uh, like an interest-free loan. Or maybe there's some business people in the local church who can, who can come with us and, and we can kind of coach some of these people to, to start a business and, and to help them run that business. You know, the point is, don't, wait a minute, church, you know, don't do for others in the name of God because it makes you feel good that some people can do for themselves. That would be a good way to put this. But usually, you know, when we say the expression, well, the Lord only helps those who help themselves, don't we almost always, at least is how I was raised to believe it, it was always a way of just kind of uh, getting ourselves off the hook. You know, like, oh, well, you know, the Lord only helps those who help themselves. And, and, and what we do is we try to kind of come up with this nice little neat explanation to kind of think, well, this is why that person is struggling. I, I, this poor person must be poor because they're just not doing enough. I, or, or they call it the, the, the idle poor, you know, the idle poor. Although there is such a thing as the idle rich. There are some people who are living off mom and dad's investments, never had a job in their life, but we never call them out. Right? But the point is that, you know, and this might be true in some cases. I think it's possible that someone can just be sitting back, not doing anything. But, you know, this is not absolutely true at all in the vast majority of cases. And what you need to know is that your staff here at Harrison Church... We have been dealing on a week, almost sometimes day-to-day basis of people coming to our church looking for help. There was a time we didn't see that many people, but boy, they are coming now. And almost all of them are working. You need to ask the people who run the loaves and fishes, the food pantry here. There are a lot of people who are embarrassed to come, and they are working. Some of them are working two jobs, more jobs, my apologies, two or more jobs, and, and you know, if, and they're, what's happening is they're, they're getting letters, right? Oh, your rent's just gone up, or uh, the cost of your utilities has just gone up. This is out of their control. But if you were to say to these people, hey, work a little bit harder, the Lord only helps those who help themselves, that, you know, they would say to me, to you, buddy, there's not enough hours in the day for me to work any harder. I'm doing all that I can. To make ends meet, and I can't do it. These are working people. And, you know, Pastor Kyle, uh, we, we have kind of talked. You know, he's not here right now. I can talk about Kyle. And um, we've talked about, you know, what, what is, what's going to happen? Because this is not going to stop. And uh, God's going to call Harrison Church to do something here. This is becoming critical for us. But these are, these are working people who are doing the very best that they can. What's God going to have us uh, do? I think about the passage I just read from you from the book of Deuteronomy. Isn't that a a wonderful verse, a set of verses? All right, you got Moses. And uh, Moses is preaching to the people, and he says to the people, when someone in need comes among you, what are you supposed to do? He says, make sure you say to them, the Lord only helps those who help themselves. No, he didn't say that at all. He said, when someone in need comes to you, don't be hard-hearted. Or tight-fisted. Sometimes we can say the Lord only helps those who help themselves because we're hard-hearted. We're frustrated. We close our fists. But what Moses says is that when someone in need comes to you, open your hand. Do something. And and give to that person. Now, one of the reasons I decided to show you that, that last verse where Moses says, Since there will never be people in need among you to cease from the earth... 
We do normally translate that in other translations, you know, the poor you will always have with you. Now, how many of you have heard that expression before? Well, you know, the poor will always be with you. I heard this, and I've almost always heard it in the context of, well, you know, the poor will always be with us. Nothing we can do. So let's just live as comfortably as we can and feel good about it. Because, you know, the poor will always be. It's kind of like it's said in this, in this tone of resignation, like there's nothing we can do. But I want you to notice again how Moses frames this. He says, since the poor will never cease from your land, or there will always be people to cease who will need in your land, he describes that not as resignation to do nothing, but as your opportunity. This is our opportunity. What Moses says to the people is, since the poor will always be with you, therefore open your hand. It's a call to generosity. It's not a call to hard-heartedness or coming up with a nice little saying to kind of let ourselves off the hook. It is our opportunity. That's how it's described here. Let's put that saying in context. Stop saying, since the poor will always be with us because that means we can do nothing. It's our opportunity. Therefore, open your hand. That's what Moses says. The point I'm trying to make is is that what Moses is preaching to the people and what you find throughout the rest of the scriptures is that the Lord helps those who cannot help themselves. The Lord helps those who just cannot help themselves. Throughout the Bible, I should be preaching to the choir. I mean, but throughout the Bible, we, we find God whose heart is always focused on the most vulnerable people. On the mo- most who are those who are most at risk in this world. Now, the scriptures will refer to them things like the widow or the orphan. Have you heard this? Like the widow and the orphan. Or it'll be referred to as the downtrodden or the brokenhearted. See, widows and orphan in the ancient world, man, they had nothing. I mean, they had no ability to help themselves. They were completely vulnerable to just the risks and hazards of, of life. And we find God caring so much about those who actually cannot help themselves does that mean we do nothing no there's if there's something we can do we we work we effort but we 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 engage in some effort but man god cares about the most vulnerable we scriptures call them widows and orphans how would we frame it today you know if we were writing the bible we would say you know we would we would we would describe the most vulnerable as maybe single working mothers or single working fathers or like the people who keep coming to our church, the working poor, and in some cases the working middle class. We might refer to them as, as the most vulnerable. We would say be mindful of the, of the addicted. I mean, there are people in our neighborhoods now that are addicted to even prescription drugs. This is becoming like an epidemic. The vulnerable is the people who are, who are terrorized by, by gang violence. Children who live in orphanages. I mean, these are the people who cannot help themselves. We would, these are the most vulnerable people among us, and we would also include into that the immigrants and the refugees. That's what we would say. Let me take a moment to talk about what is being, this is a fierce debate right now in our country, but we should not be afraid of this. Let's talk about it. I got to tell you, I didn't preach last Sunday, but I, I've been thinking all week long, like, you know, what do I say? And I think one of the things that burdens me the most, there's a lot of things that burdens me, is how we in the church, we get sucked into the politics. 
and we get sucked into such a way that we got to take a side, and it's either going to be the liberal side on this or it's going to be the conservative side on this. And we just have to put people in camps. This is just how we think we have to think on the issues. And it's, it's just kind of sad because I could stand up here and we could search some scriptures and uh, I, could, I could present all this, lay all this out for you, and then I could, I could say to you, I do not believe it is God's will that uh, we have abortions. And then someone would stand up and say, you sound like a conservative. Or then I could say, let's go through the Bible, and we would look at these passages in, in Amos and even in Deuteronomy where God cares about how much people are being paid. And I could say, you know, I think God cares about wages, how much people are being paid. And all of a sudden, somebody would stand up and say, you sound like a liberal. And we've politicized all these things. Let's, let's, let's think of it this way. There, there are moments in the Christian life when it is not about choosing the liberal side of things or the conservative side of things. It's about trying to think of it in the terms of the Jesus side of things and the Christian side of things. And we just have to face the reality that there are some things that Jesus said that are very inconvenient to our political points of view. Now, I kind of, there are days when I wish that Jesus would not have said, I tell you, when someone offends you, don't forgive them just seven times, but forgive them 70 times, seven times. That's really inconvenient, Lord. <laughs> yeah. There are days when I wish Jesus would not have said, when someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. It's inconvenient, but it's there. And I have to take that seriously. It's not my job to make sure the Bible conforms to my politics. I've I got to conform to the Bible's politics in that one. That's Jesus speaking and as your pastor ordained to do this I just have to tell you that when it comes to this issue of refugees and immigrants this is one of those non-negotiables for Christian people over 36 times in the Old Testament God tells the God's people to welcome the stranger to welcome the alien to welcome the most at risk to welcome the refugee and not to harm them it says you shall open your land to them. The Jews, when they left Egypt after they were slaves into the promised land that Moses is talking about, they were refugees. And there was one nation that did not want to welcome them. Didn't go well for that nation. Jesus said to his followers to us that he would judge us based on whether we welcome the stranger. I came to you, I will come to you as someone who is vulnerable as a stranger, we could say as a refugee, and he will judge us based on whether we welcomed him or whether we did not welcome him. And we just have to face the reality here as well that right now we are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. He's the son of Middle Eastern refugees. Joseph and Mary, who fled into Egypt after Herod the king, was doing some violent stuff. Now, somebody, we're talking a lot about safety in the context of all this, and you know, I, <laughs> I'm not like the enemy of safety. Um, I, I want my children to be safe. I want you to be safe. I want our country to be safe. I want the church to be safe. But here's what I need you to wrestle with with me. There is no place in the Bible where safety is considered to be a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is not there. 
is not what we're called to be as Christians, is safe, not ultimately. Jesus said that you will need to take up your cross and follow him. And what that means is that there are moments in the Christian life where we're going to have to sacrifice and we're going to have to risk loving others in his name. Safety is not a Christian virtue. It's just not. Let's wrestle with that. Some of you have asked me kind of where the Methodist Church stands on this issue. And um, uh, this week, the president of the United Methodist Bishops, kind of a big kahuna, um, he issued a statement. I, some of you may have seen this. Um, I am not going to read you the whole thing. Uh, you can go home and Google this uh, Methodist Bishop President letter. But he did say this. He said, I call upon the people of the United Methodist Church, that's you and me. I call upon you to see the face of Christ in the refugee. Say no to the walling off of our country and say yes to their hope. I have um, I've asked some people in this church several weeks ago to start thinking about how Harrison Church how we might be an instrument of good to the refugees that are already living in Mecklenburg County. You know, they're here already. There's agencies out there that need support. And I've asked a group of people to start praying about this. What, is, what might God require of us? Are there people at Harrison Church who might feel called to reach out to the refugees already among us and, and to welcome them? And uh, I, I'm, I'm going to just say to you all right now that if you feel like God might be calling you into this effort, maybe, you just contact me. We, we can do something. We can do something. The bottom line is that, folks, we, we're, we're, we're gathered here in the name of a God who helped you, who has helped me, who helps us when we could not help ourselves. You know, we love to say, you know, while we were yet sinners, Romans chapter 5, while we were yet sinners, we might frame it this way, while we were yet helpless, while we were yet unable to save ourselves, Christ died for us. When we could not save ourselves, God saved us and, and you know we're coming to this table now and what we're going to receive here is is we come and we're fed by Jesus I was thinking about this just last night like wow we come to this table and and what we find here is Jesus feeding us now you think that through when we have to feed someone that someone is helpless right you feed a child because the child cannot help him or herself or a parent in his or her old age. You've got to feed the parent because they can't. And, and we come to this table right now, and, and what we're saying is that, Lord, you need to feed us. We're helpless. This is what grace is. This is what grace is. It is about a God who will help us when we cannot help ourselves. So I pray that you will come to this table knowing your own vulnerability so that you will reach out to the vulnerable among you who cannot help themselves. Gracious God, we ask your spirit to be upon us now and upon these gifts of bread and wine. When Jesus came and he broke bread with his disciples, he told them he was going to do for them what they could not do for themselves, and that's be the instrument of their salvation, that he was going to open up a new world, and it would not be a world dominated by fear, not be a world dominated by violence. It would be a new world, a new world order of forgiveness and reconciliation and love and not death but life and so we ask your spirit to be poured out upon these gifts of bread and wine and make them become for us now the body and blood of christ 
that we might be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you will make us one with Jesus Christ. One in ministry in this world, especially to the most vulnerable who cannot help themselves. And one with each other in a divided world. Through your son Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Harrison Church. To stay connected to Harrison Happenings, please follow us on Facebook or Twitter at HarrisonUMC or online at HarrisonChurch.org.